Recruiting Blitz podcast powered by the UC Report is back after a bye week and plenty to discuss this week as new ESPN 300 rankings have dropped. Wade and myself break down the new ESPN 300. We also talk about the ever-increasing growing list of open head coaching jobs and how they rank, especially from a recruiting standpoint, and we take a look at the future of the recruiting. Recruiting Blitz podcast powered by the UC Report is back uh, after a bye week last week. Uh, was on the road for a midweek uh, Geico ESPN High School Football Showcase game in the state of Louisiana. With uh, So a little bit tough. And then uh, Wade was also in contract negotiations. We've only done like five podcasts, but he already wanted to renegotiate. So he had to stop down. He wouldn't come out of his trailer. I'm looking for an exponential raise from yeah. zero. We were, we were able to talk him out of it. And uh, we're back. I'm back in the office. Wade is back on good terms. And uh, here we are for another week. And I, uh, it's good to be back because Wade, it is uh, obviously the big headline is ESPN 300 player rankings update. Mm-hmm. We're about depending on what part of the country you're in, about halfway through the high school season. So we've had a, a good chance between video, being out on the road, to see a lot of the prospects in the class, who has impressed, who's risen, who's fallen. Uh, so I think that's the perfect place to start this week is with the ESPN 300. And why not start near the top? The three quarterbacks still lead the group, but several new five stars. Uh, and one of those being the teammate of the number one ranked player in the country. That's quarterback Malachi Nelson headed to USC. Zachariah Branch had already been a five-star, but now his teammate, talking about Nelson at Los Alamitos, Makai Lemon, has joined them in the, amongst the five-star ranks. They are only one of two pair of high school teammates that are five-stars in Nelson and Lemon. But to me, I think this is having had a chance to see Los Alamitos kickoff weekend at the end of August, even in a loss, I walked away really impressed with Lemon. You watch him on film at the Future 50 over the summer. He was quick, tremendous body control, and in a loss through four quarters, never stopped fighting, never started winning. Those are the things like, okay, the, the talent is there, but I think I was more wowed by just the ferocious competitiveness in which he approached the game as well. And uh, going to USC, obviously Nelson being his quarterback, but I think it's going to help him because they're going to have that synergy. But whoever's throwing in the football, this – this is a, a target. And then you put him and Zachariah Branch together, and it's like, who do you – you, they're only going to make each other better. You know, you talk about a lot of times with uh, pairs of edge rushers. You can't key on one guy. You can't slide one way the whole game. With these two guys, similar skill sets, easy to get the football to, explosive, whether it's run after the catch or run by people and catch the ball. So I couldn't agree more uh, with you on that one. Yeah, you know, you think about Branch, he's – one of the most dynamic players in his class, maybe a little bit better straight line speed, but I'm not so sure in terms of just explosiveness out of breaks that Lemon yeah. is, is one of the best in his class and reminds me a lot of the current USC receiver, Jordan Addison, maybe not quite as long, but uh, certainly similar. Uh, some new five stars also now giving the second pair of teammates. Yeah. <laughs> Geyer High School in Denton, Texas, went from zero to two with... <laughs> Quarterback Jackson Arnold, as well as Peyton Bowen, the safety, both entering uh, five stars. And I'm actually very quickly going to get a window into how right we were, or maybe a little bit ahead of the curve. We're going to see. I'm going to see Geyer next week. Yeah. 
uh, on the ESPN High School Showcase. So looking forward to seeing those two. But what we have seen leading up to this, uh, especially even going back to the camp circuit in the summer with both of these players, uh, and then with the film, uh, I think great new, new five-star additions. And I got to give credit to either whoever's running a social media account at that high school or whatever local reporter is covering those guys because in that window, that brief window where it's only high school football, we don't have any college or NFL, I just kept seeing Jackson Arnold bomb touchdown passes online and Peyton Bowen making huge plays and return touchdowns. So little tip of the cap to whoever's doing uh, the social media or covering those guys down there because they were certainly a top of mind uh, in late August when they had the spotlight. Yeah, and this class... Jackson Arnold, he wasn't very far outside. It was just kind mm. of a bump into the five-star, but it further <clears throat> solidifies the feeling that we had over the summer that this may be, in terms of at the top, the best quarterback class in the ESPN 300, going all the way back to the first one, which was 2006, with guys like Matthew Stafford and Tim Tebow. Yeah, yeah. You look at all the five-star quarterbacks that are amongst that group, Jackson Arnold now joining in. Uh, he was really strong at the Future 50 event. Over the summer, and as you mentioned, the way he's been playing this fall. And then Peyton Bowen, he's committed to Notre Dame. I think if you're a Notre Dame fan, you're super excited and you're also super nervous <laughs> until, <laughs> you know, that pen goes to paper there because obviously he's still getting a lot of attention, especially from Oklahoma, nearby, in-state, Texas a and But he's one of these players who, four-five-three laser, 40 on the camp circuit. Uh, the max speed metric through the UC report uh, almost 22 miles per hour. So not only is he fast in a testing center setting, that speed translates to his play. He's a physical guy. And also, the thing that jumps out is one of the fastest players in the class shows up at a camp, runs, competes. Talented, competitive, uh, great kid to be around. I think you start to, you, the more you look at Peyton Bowen, the more boxes you check and you go, why, you, you're not going, should he be a five-star? You start to go, why is he not a five-star? That was exactly my feeling too. And he's been a guy who's kind of, we always had him rated highly. He had his offers, he had his commitment, but as you pointed out, kept competing, kept showing up to events. And we've just kind of kept moving him up the rankings to this point where now he's a five-star. And like you said, I don't think anyone in the staff uh, really questioned that decision at that point. Three five-stars for USC, the only program in the country with, they have at this point, the most amount of five-stars. They got a little bit of a bump up in the class rankings. There's an interesting battle between them and Oregon for the top class in the Pac-12. They keep leapfrogging each other right mm -hmm. now. The USC with a slight advantage. Texas A&M with two as David Hicks joins Anthony Hill, yep. uh, which A&M right now for a fan base is a bit of hair pulling, yeah. you know, and... You know, I find it almost comical that people are bringing out buyout things. But you look at that game, even against Alabama and the loss, and the freshmen that are playing, especially especially in the front seven with Walter Nolan, uh, LT Overton. And now you start to put into the mix of guys in that front seven, like a David Hicks, who was a big win over Oklahoma for them. And then uh, and Anthony Hill, that, you know, they say defense wins championships. I mean, that front seven is certainly – certainly shaping up to be one of the best in college football, I think, if Texas A&M could weather the storm for another season or two. And uh, the announcers in that game, too, as I'm watching it, you have to kind of laugh because they're talking about the, quote, veteran players of the group, and it's like a true sophomore. Oh, yeah. he's mentored the young yeah. guys, and he's brought them in. Yeah. And it's a 19-year-old you know, true sophomore who's still got plenty of time left to make plays for the Aggies. If, if they can hold that to together, there's a lot of exciting promise within that group, and they're only adding to it now. It's just you think about that defensive line class they just signed. The early production you're getting, then you put into somebody like a David Hicks who's so versatile. We had talked about two weeks prior when he had committed what he brings to the table, certainly. 
If you haven't heard that, go back and listen. We break down David Hicks a little bit more, but another five-star. And, you know, the QB spot, a little bit in flux for them. Um, Haynes King's kind of been in the lineup. Max Johnson with the injury. Maybe five years ago, you'd be saying there's no easy solution to this problem unless there's a Cam Newton in the JUCO ranks or something. But in the era of the transfer portal, could they be one? I mean, Caleb Williams is, you know, pretty much as good as you're going to get out of the portal from a quarterback, but could they be one quarterback transfer away from solidifying the roster too. Well, the Texas A&M fan base knows that the other way. Kyler Murray. Yes, and uh, <laughs> the other number one recruit in the uh, <laughs> that yeah. they had the year before, Mr. Allen. Allen yeah. Yes. <laughs> so, but I, but then again, too, like if you're going to be potentially that dominant on defense, you you, you don't need it the greatest quarterback. Yeah. You just need a, a good quarterback. So. Uh, that's a look at the five stars. Obviously, go to ESPN.com. Myself and Tom Luganville have a write-up uh, breaking down the ESPN 300. But I, I think we were also discussing, and I know you, you were able to dig up some interesting numbers about, you know, five stars are the headliners, but there's a lot of players at ESPN 300 all equally talented. And I think the 23 <coughs> class, uh, you know, in your eyes has shown a lot of depth. Yeah, and so, you know, the five-star range, depending on what site or recruiting service you're looking at, could be the top 25 or top 20 players in the country. Um, and then four-star players typically run all the way through the rankings, whether it's 250 or 300-plus. You know, we see about 400 four-star caliber players in classes. But that next delineation, just down from the five-stars, at least in our rankings, are guys that we give an 86 grade or higher to. And for us... Even though it doesn't always come you know, to just 50 players in the class, to us that kind of means a top 50 talent. That means a player who's probably a take for any program in the country, uh, whose skill set's versatile enough that they can fit in a variety of ways. And this class has 75 players with a grade 86 or higher. Of course, we still have the all-star games at the end of the year uh, for some more players to potentially see their stock rise a little more. But that's only happened one other time since we've been doing these rankings. So for me, I thought that was an interesting little, that next group below the five stars, really strong, really deep. And as you commented on the, uh, the quarterback class, arguably being the best one ever, quarterback, obviously an essential position, tons of highly regarded edge players in this group, um, you know, positions that everybody's placing a premium on. So not shocking to see maybe those numbers a little, a little higher than a typical year. Well, obviously, they got to go to college. They got to play. They got to perform. But of course. I, I look at this class, this quarterback class, and I go, all right, if it, if it pans out, you know, obviously there's going to be some misses. It's just, it's just life. And, but with this many quarterbacks that we feel this town that I keep thinking, all right, could this be like the 83, 83 quarterback class, draft? Right. <laughs> could, it, could it be like, yeah. now, and if you don't know, go look up that 83 draft class. Mm -hmm. It was, I think, what, Dan Marino was the last guy taken? I think so. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, <laughs> But I, you know, I, I don't know. A couple of a couple of days ago, that kind of popped in my head. I go, I wonder if this this week could be wind up talking about this quarterback class in terms of impact, uh, like people have talked about that old draft class. And then another quarterback who's not in the five star range, just below a few of the other guys we've mentioned, who um, I think is a is a, has picked or found a perfect spot in this class, is um, Kansas State's quarterback commit Avery Johnson, the newest Under Armour All American. He plays out in Kansas, so not the highest level of competition, but he's having an absolutely monster senior year, completing 70% of his passes, 18 to 1 touchdown to interception, 500 rushing yards, 10 more scores. And I just think he's picked the perfect spot because Kansas State head coach Chris Kleinman, who was previously at North Dakota State, has a ton of experience developing uh, these really talented dual threat guys. He won back to back national titles with Carson Wentz, 
and he wasn't around for the playing of Trey Lance, but he recruited and signed Trey Lance as well. So, you know, I think that's a perfect spot for him. And I just, I was chuckling to myself a little bit because as much as we try to be as objective as possible with all these rankings, sometimes it's hard not to let where a kid's going to factor into your rankings. And I was just thinking over the years with, you know, some of the player types and the homes they ended up finding how when the player makes that commitment, like the bell just goes off and, you know, Chip Kelly at Oregon, uh, before the spread offense was everywhere throughout the country, you might see some smaller running backs, some smaller receivers, maybe we're criticizing their size, but they're great space players, they're really explosive. And then they commit to Oregon and you go, oh, of course this guy's going to be great. And, it, you know, you try not to let it affect uh, your analysis and a player's position in the 300, but it's hard not to with some perfect fits like that. And I think Johnson's one of those guys. You know, it's, you brought up how you try not to, but you almost... Yeah, you should really in terms of like the rankings are trying to predict success. Sure. So yep. if a player has a skill set that matches a program where they've had success, it or increases what they those do, chances. No yeah. Doubt. So it yep. should be it should be a factor. <laughs> yep. You know. So it's I think those one of the things. It'll also be coached by one of the greatest player quarterbacks ever at K State and Colin Klein, yep. who's on that staff there as the OC and the quarterbacks coach. So you're right. You start to like a little puzzle, you know? You start yeah. with the corners, you start putting more pieces in, and you, go, hey. you know, so and I'm excited to see him down in Orlando uh, uh, in person. And to that point, one more on the quarterback thing, a guy who moved into the top 100, I think was deserving, and a guy I've actually been a fan of since early on is the Iowa State commit, J.J. Cole. Oh, yeah. He's, yeah. Been, he's a big pocket passer, strong arm, athletic enough to be able to get outside the pocket, create second chance opportunities. He's it's off to a good start this season at Ankeny High School in the state of Iowa. And in full disclosure, his father is Jamie Cole, who runs Kicking Camps, who uh, we've known for a long time, uh, works with the Under Armour Kickers. Uh, and I think, at, you know, early on, some, you know, there was a thought, well, like, you know, this is Jamie's kid. Is he really right. that good? And right. So much so that even in the office the other day, somebody came up to me and said, hey, I saw J.J. Cole's in the ESPN 300. Was that... Is that because of his dad? Are you guys helping? I'm like, oh, he's really a good yeah. quarterback. <laughs> he showed up to Iowa last year, excuse me, Ohio, Under Armour camp last year, won the MVP, was coached by Jeff Lake. Jeff Lake had no idea who Jamie Cole is or who I do, JJ Cole is. And he was like, he's the MVP right there. Showed up to Kansas, uh, Kansas City this year, uh, really strong wins, just that his ball just slicing through the wind. Once again, clear cut MVP of that camp. So every time we've seen him, he's shown up delivered. He's been producing on the field. He's a player that I've actually liked really early on. And selfishly, I feel a little bit vindicated. As yes, we been, know you do. <laughs> he's, been moving, he's been moving up. So he's another big mover into the 300. So obviously that's huge for Iowa State, keeping him at home. And uh, another one of those players who adds to what we feel is, is has a chance to be one of the special uh, quarterback classes. So not surprisingly, quarterbacks dominating this conversation. But there's more to the 300 than uh, – the signal callers, uh, and I think moving forward, as we certainly have a lot more high school football that we play within a regular season, the playoffs, and then, as you mentioned a little bit ago, Wade, the All-America period, I think there's some players to continue to keep an eye on. I think the one that jumps out to me is a running back position. you got Richard Young, Justice Haynes, and you got Cedric Baxter. Nice battle for that top spot, yeah. Yeah, all one, two, and three, respectively, at the running back position, all not too far outside the the five-star range too. Mm -hmm. So I think how those three shake out and maybe if one or two of them could potentially break into the five-star, that would be interesting. I think another player right outside the five-star range that I would not be surprised potentially ending up in it is Keon Keeley, one of the top uncommitted players. 
uh, was committed to Notre Dame, uncommitted, a really big target for a lot of programs, Ohio State, Alabama. <clears throat> I think he's a player by the time we get through the all-star period, I wouldn't be surprised if he ended up moving and certainly somebody keeping a close eye on. He's been steadily moving up kind of in your yeah. eyes, specifically over the course of this as he well. He just has yeah. that length that you yeah. can't teach. Saw him yeah. last year uh, in person. He, w- he was outstanding. Uh, to me, the guy I really want to see is almost like uh, I just haven't had a chance to see him in person. Uh, hasn't come across our radar with his prowess in track. He, he, you know, you don't see him at camps. To me, it's Nicholas Harbour. Under Armour All-American, really excited to see him down in Orlando. He's kind of like, you know, I feel like he's a Loch Ness Monster of this class. You know, he's this big guy you can run really well. You hear so much about. Just haven't had the chance to see him in person. So I'm really looking forward to that because that that combination of size and speed is 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 rare. So I'm really excited to chance to see him in person. And he's one of those guys who you love to get into that controlled setting where, I mean, let's be quite frank, he's probably never played against anyone who's remotely as physically gifted as him. Uh, as you know, the fastest and probably strongest guy on the field in almost every high school game he's played. And his high school film is interesting because he plays a little bit of receiver. He plays defensive end. Yeah. He's kind of all over the place. Of course, we were so excited to try to track him in the Max Speed Project. We couldn't actually get a clip that was good enough. Half the time, he's too fast and he just goes in cruise control. And uh, you know, he's not just a typical skill guy, so there aren't a ton of clips for him to try to track. But having him in that controlled environment against... Um, some other young men who might be able to stack up against him physically would be fun. Well, it'd be fun. Also, be fun maybe get him and uh, him and Zachariah Branch. Thought maybe a future fifty, but he had track obligations to get him and Zachariah Branch in the same building and yep. have those two race. Uh, two very different builds, but two absolute <clears throat> screamers. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that that would be fun. And and that one more that comes to mind to me is I want to watch is I like a lot on film, and I think he's a guy who continued to climb. Got a little bit of a bump in this one is Sadir Mitchell. Uh, he's he's a big, powerful player, can two-gap, but also really good with hands, good agility. I think he's one of these prototypical-type interior D linemen and, and really nice pickup for Texas. But uh, he's another one I wouldn't be surprised if he can maybe make a jump up within that uh, D tackle class. And I think a guy that, you know, we were kind of putting this together, you know, as you were kind of doing the research, was actually a Memphis commit moving into the 300. Yeah, Arian Carter um, played a lot of running back early on. Um, film was impressive from his junior year, but there's a little different gear in that senior film. And I know you specifically were impressed with uh, him as an off-the-line linebacker and what he showed in that role. Yeah, well, the explosiveness, the yeah. ability to close, and when he got there, he could deliver a pop. Uh, obviously, playing a running back, he could drop, be effective in coverage, but it was that downhill closing burst. And sometimes it all it takes is a change in position, uh, to better suit your strengths, and it certainly has. So that was uh, somebody I remember you had on Earth said, "Hey, you need to reach, take another look <laughs> at this guy." And we did, and, and uh, bam, he's into three hundred. And we, he's not just rising on our boards; he's rising oh, on yeah, a lot yeah. of people's boards. Yeah, including the top programs in the country who are now, offering him yeah, and trying to take visits. Official yeah. visits are, are yeah. getting set up. So there's a little recap of the ESPN three hundred update again. The entire ESPN 300 can be found at ESPN.com as well as some insight. Myself and Tom Lugan will have a little bit of a breakdown. Uh, so go to ESPN.com for a full look at the ESPN 300. Well, speaking about the ESPN 300, Wade, one thing that could uh, certainly shake up commitments within the ESPN 300 is coaching changes. And as we're yeah. here in early October, mm-hmm. there's already a handful of jobs open and a 
since I, I believe last time we spoke, Wisconsin uh, has opened up as well. So now you got Wisconsin, Nebraska, Georgia Tech, Arizona State, and Colorado also opening up. So you got three Power Five jobs in early October. And one of the things, you know, I think we have spoke about this last time, if not in the in the office again. We always talked about this podcast kind of being an extension of our of our in office across yeah. the desk conversations. <laughs> uh, was that like I don't like. Firing your coach so early is not going to help you if you're going to try to get a current coach. But, but maybe it helps you get to the front of the line because the the interesting other piece of the puzzle was Matt Rule getting fired from Carolina. Yes. So you're thinking like, all right, like you fired your coach six weeks, seven weeks before the season's over. Or like you're really getting that far ahead of the queue. But when a guy like a Matt Rule comes open, and you, I think. You know, we'll see what happens, but and obviously, I'm not sure what, like what contract stipulations he has. But yeah. he, immediately, everybody's like, "All right, he's going back to college, and it'll be a very hot name." And I'm sure all five schools that we just mentioned at least took notice of that. Yeah, I mean, it didn't work out for Matt Rule uh, with the Panthers, but as you said, I mean, he is obviously still a proven and coveted coaching commodity at the college level. I don't know if I'm Matt Rule with my forty-plus million-dollar buyout if I'm jumping at any of these jobs just right. yet, though. Maybe not. We'll Maybe not. All right, so uh, you've ruled out Matt Rule, no pun intended for all these. <laughs> I mean, maybe. Who no, knows? Just, Maybe he's itching to get back. Yeah. No, no. It, it certainly is not. And that was, uh, you know, that was kind of the point counterpoint to my own thought. I was like, yeah. oh, you find something? They're yeah. like, all right, here's a good example. <laughs> One <laughs> of the best college coaches in the country is available. He just happened to be fired from an NFL team. Yeah, so there, there was a good reason when I was knocking teams for firing too early, but there, there could be a good reason for the other uh, side of the column. But, all right, let's look at these jobs. You know, obviously there's a lot of factors. We're coming at this as a Recruiting Buds podcast from more of a recruiting standpoint. So let's take a look at those five jobs, and I'm interested to see from your analytical standpoint how you would kind of rank those jobs with a lot of factors involved, but with maybe a little bit bigger slice of the pie going towards the recruiting aspect. Yeah, so I mean, as we talked about on the previous podcast with Chad Simmons and his college common knowledge at this point, you know, the state of Georgia is loaded, but Georgia Tech's not necessarily the uh, number one program in state, obviously, right now. So for me, I actually have Arizona State ranked as the top job available from a recruiting perspective. Interesting. They have potential NCAA sanctions, of course. Um, the Pac-12 is a little bit in flux, but we've seen Bill O'Brien at Penn State and the uh, just previously mentioned Matt Rule at Baylor show us that uh, situations that were much more serious than what's going on in Arizona State, that it is possible to write the ship pretty quickly and that you can get around some of the maybe uh, scholarship uh, restrictions. And I think the Big 12 has shown us that these conferences are not just going to lie down when they lose a program or two. I mean, the Big 12 has come up fighting, trying to keep their conference as strong as possible. So let's just assume the Pac-12 remains somewhat intact without you know USC and UCLA when they move. When I'm thinking about Arizona State, this reminded me to when we've done um, our articles for ESPN.com about how the uh, college football playoff teams were built and the, the how they were built uh, articles. And sometimes a, a team gets in the playoffs, whether it's an Oregon or an Oklahoma or a Clemson or a Notre Dame. And after we look at you know the class rankings over a four or five year period it comes out that you know Oregon only recruited the 12th most talent in the country or Oklahoma only recruited the 11th most. But then if you look compared to the other schools in the conference, it was the top mark in the conference. So here's my thought on Arizona State. Tell me if I'm crazy about this. USC and UCLA are leaving the Pac-12. Los Angeles is the best recruiting grounds 
in the Pac-12 area. They're not in the Pac-12 anymore. Does Arizona and Arizona State now have the best local recruiting grounds in the Pac-12 after the two LA schools leave? Um, of course, so they, they do have to kind of fight on them, sure. But Northern California is, is, a, is, a long, is a long way from LA County. Yeah, I mean, you still need to go into California. Obviously, they know of course, we, we yeah. just saw Georgia go into California to get Roderick Robinson a, a running back. So mm-hmm. everybody's now going already into California. Then you got USC, UCLA leaving. If it wasn't already open, it's going to open a door maybe even more for some Big Ten programs. So now you could the the counter to that argument would be now the floodgates may even be open more. Where Possibly, we have play. seen that in Texas a little bit with yeah. the SEC. Yep. So, but to your point, does Arizona now be if if you're if you're looking at Southern California as being rated by other programs, does your home base now become the key spot? Potentially, you know, having been on the camp circuit, having run camps. Arizona's been a stop because there's enough talent, but it it's kind of been every other year exactly. stop. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. enough talent, but is it the deepest out west? It's as as deep of a pool. I mean, this is what I'm thinking. We're comparing it to the state of Washington, the state of Oregon, Northern California, yeah. Utah, so it's Colorado. Like, speaking of, so a talent pool, it's not the shallow end where you just put your feet in, and it's not the deep end where you'd want to dive. <laughs> it's that point of the pool yeah. where you're like waist deep. But you're still that little sign on the side that says "Don't dive in" because there's a guy with a little. <laughs> that's that's kind of Arizona. Like you're waist deep. Yeah, yeah. So that's again could be crazy. I'm just thinking relative to who they're going to be playing against, who they're going to be able, who they're going to be recruiting against. That might be the best one. But just before you move forward, you do, you also glossed over the two biggest obstacles: the, the conference influx and potential NCAA. Uh, those are two. Well, you know, I thought I addressed yeah. it with we can yeah. get we can get yeah, back. if you, if we make the right hire, we're able to come out on the right end after yeah. some sanctions. And I think that uh, uh, you address it. You mentioned it. I, I mentioned it. Yes. Okay. Yeah. It, the the case line. is not closed oh, yeah. yet. Okay. Sure. All right. I've got Georgia Tech at number two. Uh, again, Chad laid out. Um, even though it's in right in Atlanta, which is arguably the best city in the country to recruit, there are academic standards at Georgia Tech that make it difficult. You can't just get every player in there. Obviously, the Georgia Bulldogs are one of the, you know, the premier program in the country. You've got everyone trying to come into the state of Georgia and rate it. Now, maybe I'm going to disprove my point a little bit with Arizona State right now, but we talk about Arizona's proximity to Southern California. Charlotte, North Carolina, Nashville, Tennessee, Birmingham, Alabama, Jacksonville, Florida are all closer to Atlanta than Southern California, than Los Angeles is to Tempe, Arizona. So if your pool's limited a little bit in Georgia by the academic standards, you still have a bunch of other mid-sized southern cities that have great high school football and that have kids with high academic standards. So does that kind of open up that pool to the size, even with the academic standards to Georgia Tech, that it could be big enough for them to build up a roster that can compete with anybody in the, in the ACC? Okay, so so far I don't agree with you with one. Okay. <clears throat> I do agree with you. I, in my head I would have Georgia Tech too. Okay. Uh, because of so much talent there. Now there is... A little bit more maybe difficult academic hurdles to get over, but you're in a conference where obviously Clemson at any moment can be a beast is one of the elite programs in the country. Yep. Uh, Pitt has been a consistent, just tough program. Florida State looks like they're headed now, finally. Look like yeah. they're, and then Miami, people keep waiting, but the talent is there. We'll see what America... So <clears throat> it's certainly not easy, but you kind of look at it, it's like it's not an impossible climb. It's not like 
it's not like, you know, you're looking, oh, we're in the SEC West. And, you know, we, we got to right. make huge strides if we're ever going to crack the top of the conference. So I, I do think that there is a, a drivable path, so to speak, for Georgia Tech. So I would agree with you that Georgia Tech, for me, would be number two of the five. And just one, one final point on that. Um, again, the strength of the state of Georgia. The state of Georgia has three times as many high three-star prospects in the past class as the states of Arizona, Colorado, Nebraska, and Wisconsin combined. Yeah. So even if we have a lot of schools coming in and we have some academic hurdles, there are a ton of players. Yeah, and, that's, and that is really where you would plant. That's the, that's the argument you would plant your flag in for yes. saying why Georgia Tech is number two. Cause yes. It, it's all about talent. It's about yep. players. So I have Wisconsin at three with kind of an asterisk from a recruiting point of view. But if I had to bet on which coach hired at one of these schools will have the most success, I think I would probably pick Wisconsin. Um, in professional sports, there's always this debate. Who's the most important? Is it the star player? Is it the coach? Is it the GM? One that gets glossed over all the time is the owner. The owner picks the GM who picks the coach or picks the GM and the coach. Now, there's no owner in college football, but I'm there about are... about to say, did I black out and go to <laughs> NFL podcast? But there are athletic directors. And even though uh, Chris McIntosh is early in his tenure as AD, he was there during the end of Bar Barry Alvarez's reign. And from my point of view, the Wisconsin Athletic Department as a whole, especially in men's basketball and football, has been one of the highest overachieving programs of the last 30 years. So is the, is the talent base just from a pure recruiting standpoint, necessarily there. Maybe not compared to the two previous programs, but I would bet on the success of that hire over the schools that I have at two and one, simply because of what they have in place and this now three decade long run of uh, consistent, excellent performance with the Badgers. Yeah, so I had, I would put Wisconsin at one, but maybe yeah. because maybe my slice of the recruiting pie is not as big, because it's very interesting. I think. If you polled most people right now and said, what is the most, what's the best job available? They would say Wisconsin. But to I your, would totally agree with that. Just purely best yeah. job, I agree. But to your point, I went back and looked over the last 10 cycles, uh, previous to this 23-1, they've only finished in the top 25 once in terms of class rankings. Recruiting, right. Recruiting class yep. rankings, 16 in 2021. Most times are outside of 30. So it's really <laughs> one of those interesting jobs where you look at it and you go, it's arguably the best job. I could have success there, but it's very like, it's very square peg into a square hole in terms mm -hmm. of like, I think if anybody tried to go there and radically change the formula, it could be a big problem. It'd be a, you have to go there and stay very much in the same lane that Barry Alvarez, that Brett Bielema uh, did, uh, was in, and then even to an extent with Paul Chris. So, you know, you're not going to go in there and go into this high tempo spread thing you've got to still know where where your strength is and that is in the trenches and listen to Wisconsin they've gotten plays out of Hawaii you're going to have some national appeal but I, I, it's such an intriguing job because yeah. you're right you're not going to sign top 10 classes and you're going to have to probably very much stay within the same blueprint that has already been built but if you get the right guy and you recruit hard there's certainly the formula has shown that it works there. And a one area maybe that the next coach at Wisconsin could exploit that the previous ones haven't. And again, don't get far away from the blueprint that's made the Badgers successful. But the state of Illinois produces a lot of talent. Uh, Madison's close to the greater Chicago area. They've only signed one player from the state of Illinois in each of the past few classes. 
And so, of course, Ohio State and Notre Dames and Michigans and, you know, all the great rec recruiting powers in the Midwest are going to fight for the best players in and around the Chicago area, too. But I did think that was interesting and maybe one area that Wisconsin could get um, just a, a bit of a boost in the, purely from the recruiting standpoint on. So at four, I had Colorado. Wow, interesting. Yes. And it's mainly the same argument that I made for uh, Arizona State at one in that the school I have at five, Nebraska, is going to be competing in the Big Ten, and which I assume USC will join the Big Ten West, yeah. I, just a guess. Uh, and so that will only strengthen that side of it. Um, so basically, I had the same argument for Colorado at four as I did Arizona State at one relative to who you're going to be playing against and recruiting against. I think it might be a little bit of an easier gig. Yeah, I'll buy that. We, we you know, again, go back. Previous ones, when that job came up, we went pretty in-depth on Nebraska and the challenges that lie there. Uh, I could probably argue either way. I went and looked. So in the ESPN 300 era, Colorado only had 41 four-stars within the in-state. So again, yeah. not too dissimilar to some of the struggles mm -hmm. that Nebraska has, Colorado could have as well. You know, And when you get a guy like a Christian McCaffrey that comes along, you got to keep him in-state, which that program didn't do several years ago with McCaffrey going to Stanford. But... I had Nebraska at four, Colorado five, but I, I, it's, I, I see your point, and you could argue the other way, though, that the, the fact that Nebraska's in a much more stable conference could be more... Could be, so It also means that their schedule is going to be a, a much more stably, more difficult than yeah. Colorado's over for whoever the next yeah. head coach of the Cornhuskers is. All right, well, just, just, just to keep things... Uh, uh, Acrimonious. I'm going to go with. Uh, I'm going to go Nebraska four, Colorado five. All right. And we'll see who's right. So I mean, I guess that's all the you need the to know about. The battle for four or five. Right? Well, two hosts <laughs> enter, one host leave. We'll see. <laughs> or about or about how much uh, recruiting matters is that even though I had Wisconsin at three, that's the job that I want to take. Yeah. If I get to pick five. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. Very interesting. So there's a look. Uh, uh, I would imagine Wade that this list will continue to grow, and as it does, we will continue to shuffle it. But. Uh, Right now, you uh, you have Arizona State at top. I have Wisconsin, uh, and we will see how it shakes out and what new entries join that group. We did have a busy week at ESPN.com with the ESPN 300 update, but it was another relatively quiet week on the trail. There was one large 2023, and I mean large physically too, and that for a running back, uh, Roderick Robinson flipping from UCLA to Georgia, as Craig mentioned. Um, earlier on, he's a guy who made some headlines with a f almost 500-yard, eight-touchdown performance early in the year and has continued to dominate uh, for much of the fall. But there were two notable commitments this weekend that I wanted to, or this week that I wanted to hit on, and they were both underclassmen. Now, the first one was 2025 wide receiver Ryan Williams, who committed to Alabama. And, um, you know, before actually I go into Williams, People always talk about how the pace of recruiting has accelerated so much, and that's definitely certain for the verbal offers that are going out to you know thousands of players way ahead of signing day. But in terms of the actual verbal commitments that are accepted by the programs, it hasn't gotten too crazy. We have over 1,800 kids committed in this current class, only 77 in the next class, and only seven young 2025s uh, committed in, in the following class. Williams is one of those 2025s. And for me, honestly, it's an easy decision for Alabama. He's a six-foot-tall kid who's run a 10-700 meter, 
We have an elite power five grade on him in the UC report. He is dominating on the field as a sophomore. He already has a thousand plus Russian receive yards and 20 touchdowns. Auburn, Florida State, Tennessee, tons of programs were after him. I think you could make an easy comp to um, Devonta Smith, who is another really lean kid who could fly uh, that had a ton of success at Alabama. You know, so for me, Williams is a kid who's an easy take. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for everything you just said, I mean, he's in state. It's why wait? I mean, it, one of those things in Alabama has kind of been one of those <clears throat> programs that's shown too, like you know, the you know they're not going to take kids that get a chance to see him in camp. But he's in state. It's already a familiarity level and and all the strengths that he brings. So yeah, it's I think that's you know a no brainer. And I look at it, you know, it kind of an easy way to take the classes out of it is just look at the name, look at the recruiting profile, watch the tape, look at the performance. And now put him in this class. Yeah. And I mean, if I'm looking at Ryan Williams, probably going to have a hard time keeping him out of the 150 of this current class yeah. right now. So again, that makes it a pretty easy take. But on the other end of the, the uh, spectrum, their SEC rival, Georgia, made an interesting decision on a kid. 2024, Sokovi White, 5'9", 170 pounds. He's only run laser-to-laser -laser 40s in the 4'9 range. He was not on our radar, our radar for junior 300 uh, consideration. I think he had Maryland, a few G5s, and maybe FCS programs at the time. Uh, he was quoted in an article from Rivals.com saying they were the only school that gave me a chance. So I find it fascinating that on one hand we have the easy take uh, with Ryan Williams and Alabama, and Kirby Smart and his staff probably doing a lot of background work. The film has must have been broke down. I mean, probably every play that he's had on the field so far. And interesting to me that he would be an early take for a program like Georgia. Yeah, you know, listen, I Again, you have to in-state player, and you look at a lot of different, um, you know, aspects to what takes. But as you mentioned, there's probably a lot of work behind the scenes going into that. And you know, a lot of times, what we do in terms of rankings uh, is based off of what we know, but also done within a vacuum in terms of this player has this amount of talent. If this player has these measurables, yep. they could be successful really anywhere. Then we mentioned a little bit earlier ago, sometimes you factor in where they go because if their skill set and their strengths match a program and what they've done, it could certainly be beneficial. But when you get down to a program that's actually taking a kid and anywhere from 20 to 24 to 25 players, you know, they're looking even closer at what fits their programs. And sometimes at the surface, what may seem like a, an unusual fit or maybe not make a lot of sense behind the scenes it may go you know what there may be intangibles there may be other factors that fit within the program that go all right you john q public may see this 40 that that doesn't yep. wow you or you may see this height and weight that doesn't necessarily jump out at you but we're seeing that piece of the puzzle and that piece of the puzzle but we're also putting this piece of the puzzle where we've been around a player and i'm, and I'm talking more in general now or he brings this to our locker room, so he becomes higher on our board than what he may be in terms of like a you know in a vacuum and all that. So again, I think sometimes you get lost in measurables and stuff like that, and that is important because you got to be a good athlete, you got to be a good football player. But a lot of times there's other pieces of the equation, especially as you start to kind of break down into a more of a micro look at it and how each program's looking into it. So you're right. You know, that you compare the two, and it's interesting that they're also rivals, yeah, yeah. you know. But one's like, yeah, of course. And one you may go, huh, that doesn't make any as much sense, but you may not have all the pieces of the puzzle either. 
And something came to mind right when I saw White's commitment was when Dabo Sweeney was building that Clemson program. There were always three, four, five, six kids at the bottom of that class that were not ranked highly on any of the sites, most of the time in-state kids. And a lot of these guys became multi-year contributors on special teams. Some of these guys became multi-year starters and some ended up playing you know, in the NFL. So of course the recruiting rankings are not everything, just the measurables themselves are not everything. White's a kid who plays slot receiver, he plays corner, he returns kicks, he plays special teams, he has an aggressive playing style. So they've definitely seen something in him that leads them to believe there's a high probability that he's gonna help that roster. Yeah, uh, you also need great football players, you yep. also need great team guys, locker room guys. So there's a lot of different factors that go into it. So yeah, so uh, some of the underclassmen making more of the headlines on the commitment trail. Yeah, and I mean, those are the two guys who have you know actually committed to programs, but you've been on the road now since late August was uh, the mm -hmm. kickoff weekend. You've seen a ton of guys in the current class, but you've seen a ton of underclassmen. And so let's say you're Craig Hobart, you're establishing your board. Who are some of the underclassmen that you've seen uh, that have really impressed you, and where are they for you personally in the evaluation process? So I'm going to... Since we were just talking about wide receivers, I'll start at wide receivers. Okay. One that has jumped out to me, and these are the ones that I've had a chance, again, to see in person on the high school football showcase uh, <clears throat> in getting a chance to do the prep, talk to coaches, in many cases talk to the young men, and then see him play throughout a course of a week. But I'm going to go in the state of Alabama, Phoenix City, Cam Coleman. Uh, yeah, He's a, a, a guy that has impressed us on film going into the week. Their head coach is Patrick Nix, uh, brings a wealth of experience as a player at Auburn, as a college coach, as a high school coach. He's Bo Nix's dad, uh, the Oregon quarterback, so he's certainly been around the game for a long time. And actually coached at Georgia Tech when Calvin Johnson was there and said that he sees some factors that remind him, which is certainly big. And yeah. then, uh, you know, they played IMG. IMG, arguably pound for pound, the most talented program in the country uh, they gave them a fight for a good half and Cam Coleman made some plays in that game earning the nickname from me we'll see if this sticks <laughs> to be determined but I'm liking it <laughs> based off of all the everything we've talked about and what I've seen mini Megatron so camp so anybody you nickname mini Megatron yeah should be near the top of your wide receiver board and I would certainly say that uh, he's a take and he's putting it uh, together on the field this year with 400 yards, a 20-yard catch average, and five touchdowns. And I agree with you, too. If not a take for everyone, a take for most right now. Yeah. And the other one I find interesting is a freshman. And I don't, I don't know if I say a take yet, but I would certainly be like, we need to find out more. Oh, he's a get-to-camp kid. Get him on uh, campus, yeah. yeah. And that's American Heritage wide receiver Malachi Tony. Obviously, Brandon Innes. Is, is the headliner amongst that group, the Ohio State commit, one of the top wide receivers in the 2023 class. And he's kind of really, not only is he one of the premier receivers, he's kind of taking on a, uh, uh, a leadership role amongst a group of young wide receivers in American Heritage. Malachi Tony's a guy who, you know, the coaching staff is really high on. He had picked up his first offer that week heading into the season, now has close to double-digit offers. And <laughs> he's also, if you, if you watch the game, uh, after the touchdown, uh, we had a sideline uh, reporter and uh, asked him, what did he see? He goes, uh, I saw a guy who wasn't as good as me. So I said, check it to fade and get me the ball. And, <laughs> and that's exactly what happened. So uh, he has that wide receiver swag is all and backed it up with a touchdown catch. But Malachi Tony was a young receiver uh, that jumped out 
uh, to me here early on is certainly a name to kind of know and, and, and to track. Yeah, on film, uh, like you said, great quickness, great hands, great feel for coverage for a young kid. Um, let's get some verified measurables on him, but he's, he's trending toward that. He's a take, yeah. and, and quickly. So let's, uh, let's move in. If you did not see that, it's worth either on the uh, Sports Center Next uh, handle or Dana Boyle was the, uh, uh, with us that week. She was the one who got that, that great interview. So it's, 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 worth a, it's worth a listen. It's certainly uh, uh, funny. At the quarterback position, I'm, I'm going one right here. And that's Michael Van Buren. And I've said uh, previous podcasts, I've said on air, uh, I think I may have put it in print. Uh, I will get a billboard if I have to. Uh, uh, have to see what, what our expense account is. But uh, <laughs> uh, listen, I've made the comparison. The more that I'm around him, the more similarities I see to Bryce Young in build and play and the way he carries himself. Um, I'm not saying that he is the, the next Bryce Young, but I'm saying that if I see enough similarities to say that I think this is potentially a five-star quarterback. He's got a long offer list. Um, he's on a team, really talented, St. Francis Academy out of Baltimore. Uh, a lot of FBS talent. I, you know, the game that I saw this year against Venice in Florida, they didn't really need to throw the football. They were able to kind of control the line of scrimmage. Got, uh, I think they had 200-yard, uh, two players rush for over 100 yards in that game. So they didn't need to put it in the air. But at Future 50, at the Under Armour Future 50 event this summer, he was the only underclass quarterback there. And won the skills challenge and could have easily been the overall MVP as well. And so I, he's a player who as a quarterback, I would, I, I'm, I've seen enough. Uh, I'm drinking the Kool-Aid, so to speak. I, I would say a take as a quarterback. And I mean, I think it's interesting. You bring up Bryce Young. It's going to be part of the evaluation process for these schools. That's similar to what it was with Bryce Young. Cause he doesn't have the height. He doesn't have some of the basic measurables that you want, but the leadership qualities are there. Uh, stewarding a really successful high school program that has high expectations. Uh, so kind of a similar uh, analysis process for the colleges that are looking at him too, as was with Young. So let's move to the secondary, one of these premium <clears throat> positions where not always uh, easy to find, but I think the future looks really bright in the secondary light. This is my biggest list here. Um, I'm going to stick with St. Francis Academy. They've got some 2024s in Ify uh, Obideguo, and Adris uh, Farouk, uh, two good players, but I think maybe the guy that stands out the most is a 2025, and that's Blake Woodby. Yeah. Uh, a 4-4-6-40 in the camp circuit, a 4-1-3 short shuttle. Uh, I, when I saw them play against Venice, he, he was given a jet sweep, took 63 yards yep. uh, to the house. Uh, the day before, walked through, came over, introduced himself, and wanted us to make sure that he, we knew that he was the best player uh, in his class. <laughs> so he has that swagger as well. Uh, you know, uh, great kid to kind of be around, really personable. Uh, so I, but he's wow, really super talented. So amongst uh, the St. Francis Academy team with a lot of prospects, 2025 Blake would be to me is certainly a guy to know, and, and I'd put him in that take category. Yeah, already. and just to add on uh, with the combine speed, 10 800 kid already. He's only five foot ten. He's a youngster with a six one wingspan, so the growth potential is there. Take for me as well. Yeah, athleticism. Uh, cornerback swagger yep uh, he's got it uh another one to me in the <clears> secondary <throat> is at a, a st joseph prep in philly and he's if you follow recruiting this name is not going to surprise you is anthony saka uh his dad tony obviously the former penn state uh quarterback he's got offers from penn state michigan uh texas a&m he's a safety who's going to probably continue to grow into a linebacker but 
I remember last year uh, as a freshman, so 23, yeah, as a freshman, I saw him last year as well, and he was starting and already creating a buzz. He's continued to progress in the right direction now as a sophomore, but uh, it, continuing the way this way, he's going to be one of the top-ranked players in that 2025 class. Yeah, and I mean, I think um, we don't, I don't believe we have verified measurables on him yet, but he is all a 6'4", 200 pounds, as you can see on film. I love the fact that, as you pointed out, even though he's a bigger kid that may end up as a linebacker, he does not stick out at safety at all. He looks the part as a you know productive high school safety. He can cover, he can move, he has good ball skills. Kind of reminds me of a couple guys, Luke Keekley and Sam Hubbard, who were huge safeties as young prospects. And in uh, the case of Keekley, moved down to the linebacker position, and Hubbard, he just kept going until he got to the line of scrimmage. Um, for me, again, would like to have some verified testing measurable on him, but he's a take for me too, I think. Yeah, well, all right. So yeah. just to surmise so far, we brought up Calvin Johnson. We brought Luke up Keekley. Bryce Young. Yep. <laughs> Luke Keekley. So You've yeah. seen essentially a uh, starting 22 of Hall of Famers <laughs> who have not hit their junior years yet on your yeah. uh, TV circuit. So yeah, uh, I assume they would be takes because <laughs> you make some pretty big time... Uh, some pretty big-time comparisons. <laughs> uh, another player on that team that's underclassman in the Junior 300, well-known as Emilio Agar. I mm-hmm. uh, just want to kind of give a shout-out to that, uh, but he's already a guy well on the radar. Uh, and then the last one is a guy that actually I would not put under take yet, but I would certainly say do more research, and that's Justice Fitzpatrick. That's a little brother of Minka Fitzpatrick. He's at St. Thomas Aquinas. He's a 2026. Uh, another one of those programs just kind of busting at the seams with talent. <clears throat> Hasn't hit the field much, yeah. but there's, even the coaches that said getting ready for that game that hey, this is a guy we're really excited about. And you think about, obviously, who his brother is, and if he can kind of stay in that same kind of mold and, and not is, is kind of similar to his brother, you know, there's certainly a bright future. So uh, certainly somebody that excited to see more from. Yeah, uh, in agreement there. A little early, got to get more tape on him. Would love to get him to camp, but promising future for him. And then, all right, moving to the trenches as we finish up. Uh, on the D-line, had a chance to see Buford, uh, a program with a lot of talent, take on Collins Hill, a little bit of a down year. But uh, 2024, Edric Houston uh, met expectations in a way that he played. Yep. He's already one of the top players in ESPN. Yeah, three doesn't need to be uh, discussed in terms of the yeah. take. Uh, but yeah. his counterpart on the other side of the field is a 2026, who we had talked about uh, mm-hmm. in our previous Recruiting Blitz podcast. And coming away from that, I just want to continue to kind of build upon that, and that's Deuce Gerald. Uh, 2026, he is um, a player who is already drawing comparisons <clears throat> to Robert Kandichi, the head coach at Collins Hill. Lenny Gregory was Robert Kandichi's defensive line coach mm-hmm. at Grayson. The defensive line coach now at Collins Hill, Corey Beck, works with us on the camp circuit. It's an outstanding teacher. He raves really highly about him. It's kind of got that little bit of that similar kind of thick, lower, powerful base uh, that Robert Candici has. But the coaching staff is even saying that he's further along in terms of his grasp of the game yeah. than Robert was at the same point. Says 4.0 student. Uh, Corey told me that he can easily dunk a basketball. Not Corey, that Deuce can, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that could, Deuce yeah. could dunk a basketball. Yeah. And so not only would I say <laughs> that he's a take, I already would come out of that thinking that if you, if we are forced to put together rankings right now, there may be. Uh, you're a contender for the number one overall player in the 26 class. Yeah, and I mean, you you listed off all of his positive traits. One thing he doesn't have that a lot of people like to look for with these younger defensive linemen is the ridiculous height and length. But I will, you know, having said that, even if his physical development is only minimal from this point, 
he's already a player who's exhibited the ability to be a productive power five defensive lineman. So yeah. the risk really isn't there, even if the growth doesn't continue. Yeah, it's not just uh, great physical ability, but again, talking through that stat. High probability. Yeah, yeah just checks, checks like his dad. I believe his dad played at Old Miss. Uh, so really just a lot to like there about Deuce Geralds. Again, not only a take, but a, I think a, a five-star contender in that 2026 class, as long as he continues to positively progress. And then finishing up uh, on the offensive line, Kavion Bouchard, he just kind of picked up some offers. Texas Tech, Mississippi State, TCU. Um, great frame to develop. The head coach there at Zachary High School, this is where Eli Holstein goes, the Alabama commit. David Bruton, head coach there, is an offensive line coach by trade. He's really excited about this. You watch his tape. He's got a physical punch, really good body control and balance. He's a 2024 who's just now starting to get yeah. on the radar. Uh, I think continue to watch him. I think in the, in the next Junior 300 update, he's a guy uh, that is a very good candidate to move in if he continues to play that the way that he has. But he's certainly a name, uh, certain somebody that kind of jumped on my radar getting ready for that game and is now squarely on it. And I think you saying a take or wait is kind of perfect because he's a take right now for LSU or Alabama, maybe not. But Texas Tech, the program you mentioned, I believe was his yep. first offer, probably a take for them. And that's the way they have to operate in recruiting. Yep. Texas Tech did a great job in the 2023 cycle uh, identifying guys, maybe being their first or second Power 5 offer, building up a really, really nice commit list early in the, proce uh, in the process. Unfortunately, lost the guy who was one of these early identifications by them, Calvin Simpson Hunt, to Ohio State. But that's exactly the type of player who would be an identify early and probably might need to take early if you're a Texas Tech program. Yeah, and but now a guy that's for me is he takes so maybe the <clears> best, <throat> not maybe the best offensive line performance I've seen so far this year came out of Bishop Gorman against Brookwood, Georgia. Absolutely dominated the line of scrimmage. They have two 2025s on that offensive line that are amongst the best in that class. One is their tackle, Doug Utu, Utu, U-T-U, and the other is their guard, uh, S, known as S.J. Alofaituli. Uh, he is a player that that Bishop Gorman staff has been buzzing about going into his freshman year. He's got tremendous free feet, outstanding athletic ability. I went and looked just out of curiosity again. 2025, no 2025 rankings yet, um, but we've only had two five-star offensive guards in the ESPN 300 era, but I think the case is being made that he could be the third. It could be the, I, so, so, we're talking about some of this, like some of this stuff come back to haunt me. <laughs> <laughs> but listen, he's been that impressive, and everything that the Bishop Gorman staff has raved about him, he, he has shown. So, he, you know, sometimes people don't get excited about guards. I think this is a guard to get excited about. And, you know, Offensive line may be one of those positions that doesn't always jump out and wow you on film, but he's a wow player on film. I mean, yeah. his athleticism is incredible from the guard spot. So I, you know, I totally agree with you on that. And I, just in general with uh, Broussard and SJ there, um, the weight of a young offensive line prospect is not important. It's, uh, you know, their aggressive playing style, it, you know. That's um, a frame. Yeah, the frame. And I will tell you this, most... Most coaches, most strength coaches will tell you they would rather have a 
player that's a little light with a good frame that they could add weight to yes. than an oversized lineman with bad weight that they got to strip down and then rebuild back up. So yep. if you're not, if it's better to be a little bit underweight and have the frame to develop than it is to be have too much weight and have to lose it. And I think our friends over at uh, 24-7 did a study a few years ago now where they looked at first round picks and what they looked at in high school across the positions. I think 265 pounds was the average weight of the offensive tackles uh, who signed and then eventually ended up becoming first round picks. So, you know, his size right now, not a concern at all. We'll take that athleticism all day long. Yeah, so just did the ESPN 300 update this week. Again, go to ESPN.com uh, to see the entire listing as well as some uh, uh, breakdown of that, some articles. But and now we've also transitioned into a good look at 24, 25, 26 mm-hmm. Made some so-so comparisons. <laughs> <laughs> like we said, we already have a cast yeah. of first ballot Hall of Famers. Yeah, so, so. Yeah, you have to. <laughs> so, but I, but the point being, it was some really exciting underclassmen. Yeah. Some are, as I said, <clears throat> could be coming in the junior 300 update, and some names to know in 25 and, and 26. So, uh, you mentioned a little bit earlier, things are getting accelerated a little bit, but already with an eye on some 25s and 26s. All right, Wade. So. Uh, Episode six has uh, come to a close. Uh, we I think we tackled the ESPN 300 update, which is now up on ESPN.com. Again, go there uh, on the recruiting page uh, to see the entire list of the update. And we've also tackled what to look for in the future. Uh, appreciate you all for joining. Uh, and if you missed any, go back. You can find all for a podcast I found, Apple, Spotify, uh, etc. Appreciate you spreading the word uh, and more to come.